Welcome to Home of the Brave. It's Saturday, October 3rd. And uh, it's about 9 o'clock in the morning and I'm standing next to the the river, the Mississippi River, on a sandbar. I'm looking across the river to another sandbar on the other side. It's about a quarter mile to a half mile across. And the river's moving pretty fast. I'd say five, six miles an hour. Pretty good clip. And it's just silent. All that water and no sound. Trying to find a rock to throw here. Some tracks, animal tracks. Maybe a possum. All right, here's a rock. I'm gonna throw it in the river. The river is beautiful. It's like blue reflecting the sky. There's no clouds in the sky this morning. It's hazy on the horizon, but up above it's really quite clear. On the other side are Louisiana and Arkansas. The state line comes right up to the river over there somewhere. And on this side, the closest town is Mayersville, Myersville, Mississippi. It's part of the Mississippi Delta, which is actually an alluvial plain, a very low area that floods a lot, or used to before they built levees. Some of this water, this water comes from all across the United States, everywhere from Pennsylvania to Montana. And so it's no wonder that it's a floodplain because with rivers all over the United States feeding the Mississippi somewhere, it's going to take a lot, it's going to get a lot of rain. You know, every year somewhere it's going to flood and all that water is going to end up here. And also the dirt, this sand I'm sitting on right here, some of this sand might come from Montana. Some of it might come from Pennsylvania. So it's like a huge amount of America ends up here. But this is cotton country. And just behind me, on both sides of the river, there are these very flat fields of cotton that's just about ready to harvest. The plants are three or four feet tall with these white cotton balls, like two-inch cotton balls, bursting out, ready to harvest soon. It's the Mississippi Delta, what they call the Mississippi Delta. The actual delta of the river is down past New Orleans, where water goes into the Gulf of Mexico. But this area is called the Delta, and it's famous for the birthplace of the blues, and it's also the home of a lot of a very important civil rights history. I've been driving around this area, the Delta, talking to people and learning about things I should have been taught when I was a kid. All right? And then actually there's no excuse, I should have learned it on my own, like the murder of Emmett Till, which is a horrific, gut-wrenching story. Emmett Till, who was killed here, 14-year-old boy, 
Emmett Till went into a store in Money, Mississippi and bought some candy with his cousins. And when they were leaving, Emmett whistled at the woman who was working behind the counter. She was 21 years old, just married. And he ended up being taken out of his bed at night at his grandfather's house. And he was tortured, rather brutally tortured, and then killed, bullet hole through his head. Everybody should know the story of Emmett Till. Everybody should know the story of Fannie Lou Hamer. Fannie Lou Hamer being beaten in jail. She walked with a limp the rest of her life. The doctor sterilized her when she was young. When she went to the hospital and they took out her uterus without her permission. I went to her grave site yesterday. I met a guy who helped build the memorial there. I knew Fannie Lou Hamer when he was younger. And I met a guy in Helena, Arkansas, just across the river in Arkansas, who told me about the Elaine massacre, Elaine, Arkansas massacre of 1919, where 200 men, women, and children, black men, women, and children were shot or hung. He said that his dad told him after the massacre, he was walking through the woods near there and he came on three skeletons hanging from a tree by barbed wire. They'd been hung by barbed wire. Stories like that. I've been talking to not a lot of people, but some people, maybe through two or three a day, that I meet at parks or just run into. Sometimes they come up to me and start talking. I found the people here in the Mississippi Delta to be very friendly once you start talking to them. I mean, when I walk up and introduce myself, they're a little surprised or suspicious, but then when I tell them what I'm doing, they relax and they're very cordial and friendly and want to help me out. I think it's part of the culture, Southern culture. People here are more calm maybe more kind than people up north or people out west. And the people I talk to when I ask them about politics, they're not really that concerned about politics. Or maybe it's just they can think it's impolite to talk about politics, but when I ask them who they're voting for, there's no real enthusiasm or outrage. Either way, they don't express a lot of confidence or enthusiasm for Biden, although they're all going to vote for Biden. If they're voting, then about half the people I've talked to said they're not going to vote here, which is, I've noticed that pretty much the whole way. About half the people I talk to say they're not going to vote. But here, when they say they're not going to vote, I get the feeling like they're not going to vote because nothing changes. Or they tell me they're not going to vote because nothing changes. Like the towns I've been driving through. There's a lot of small towns in the Mississippi Delta. And the thing they have in common is that the downtown, the business district, they're all closed down and boarded up. It looks like maybe 10, 20 years ago they were thriving and now they're just 
ghost towns. And all the businesses have moved out to the strip malls along the highway. But a few blocks away, there's a rich neighborhood, people, a neighborhood where rich people live. The houses are very nice, sort of like mansions. And then you go across the tracks or go across a bridge over a river, and it's the poor neighborhood. It's the poor part of town where mainly black people live. And the houses are little wooden shacks up on cinder blocks, no foundation. And that's town after town. I see that. And I ask people, are there racial tensions here? Are there racial problems? And some of them say, no, not anymore. Things are fine. Everybody gets along just fine now. And some people, black men, say that's not true. There's still problems. The black man still has to stay in his place. And two guys told me that things are fine as long as they don't go into the rich neighborhoods. As they said, they both said, if I go into that neighborhood, I better be pushing a lawnmower because the black man's got to know his place still. It's like that. It's crop duster just it's really low to the ground. I think it's going to fly right over my head. So I'm going to keep going down to New Orleans, but I think I'm not going to try to talk to people anymore because it's just the virus is spreading and I've been coming in contact with people who aren't wearing masks a lot, uh, either in stores, grocery stores or hotels or convenience stores where I get gas. It's a lot of people not wearing masks. And sometimes when I talk to people, they start coughing. Like last night, I was talking to a guy by the river. Things were going fine, and they started coughing. Neither one of us wearing masks. I was, you know, upwind, but still. Um, I might be infected, and I might be carrying the virus and not know it, and I might be giving it to other people. And I just don't feel good about that. You know, it maybe I'll end up talking to people just by chance or they come up to me, but I'm not gonna try to um, approach people. And I, fe I feel fine, no symptoms at all. I had a headache yesterday from, I think, breathing the chemicals from a crop duster, but I'm feeling fine today. I'm just thinking that maybe it's time to head home. Thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much for donating and supporting this show and this series of reports. All right, more soon, I hope.